feel good. I feel good about Jamar Chase. I feel good about Justin Jefferson. I feel good about Terrence Marshall. I feel good about our backups. I feel good about our tight end. I feel good about our quarterback. I feel good about our two running backs. Uh, those guys are going to come ready to play. I believe in these guys. I would not want anybody else in the country on our offense or our defense than our football team that we have right here. I believe in these guys. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Hey Fighting Podcast, the official podcast of LSU football. Whoops, bumped the mic there. A little rusty after the bye week. Got to clean it up. I'm Cody Wersh from Digital Media Reporter, as always, coming to you from uh, from my office today. Uh, we're earlier, I sat down with former LSU running back, now radio host, TV personality, roommate on road trips with me, Jacob Hester, and uh, had a good chat with Jacob about the LSU-Alabama game. Uh, as I mentioned in that conversation with Jacob, a couple things that I want to get to before that interview. As I mentioned uh, in that conversation, uh, and, and I kind of teased on the last episode of the podcast, I spent Monday through Wednesday of last week in Athens, Ohio, talking to former coaches and teammates and teachers and friends and neighbors of Joe Burrow and, and Joe Burrow's parents uh, in Athens. And we're going to be doing something with that in the coming weeks. I originally thought we were going to be doing something this week. Uh, we've decided to push it back just a little bit. One, so we can just focus on the LSU-Alabama game, which should obviously be the focus this week. It should be the center of everyone's attention. It's the thing that we're all talking about. Two, it also gives us a little bit more time. We had like eight hours, nine hours of audio. We literally started at 9 a.m., didn't stop to 9 p.m. doing interviews, and there's a lot of good stuff, and we want to make sure – it's the best story possible, audio, video, written story as well. So um, I do talk about that with Jacob a little bit. That was before we made the decision to push it back a week. So if you hear me talking about that, that's what I'm referring to. Uh, before we get to that conversation with Jacob, I also wanted to go over some stuff that Coach O talked about in his Monday press conference today. Uh, a little bit of news, Michael Divinity is no longer with the team. Uh, he's left the team for personal reasons. Coach O talked a little bit about that and uh, and how LSU is going to try to offset his his loss. It, it sounds like they're going to give Caleb on Chase on all the reps that he's been getting and then lean on Andre Anthony and Ray Thornton uh, in the meantime. I'm sure there will be some other things uh, that, that LSU mixes in there. Marcel Brooks becomes important. I think a guy like Damone Clark, if you look at his stats this year, uh, if you look at guys who have rushed the pass for at least 25 times, in SEC play this year, he leads the SEC in pressure percentage. So Damone Clark is a guy that in a limited role has been very good for LSU getting after the passer. Maybe you see a little bit more of him. Uh, other tidbit of news that Coach O got to, Grant Delpit uh, has been injured, picked up that, that sprained ankle against Auburn. Coach O says he's going to be practicing Monday and Tuesday in, in maybe a somewhat limited fashion, but they expect him to be fully healthy for the game and I think Grant will be ready to go. Uh, I also wanted to play a couple sound bites from Coach O that I thought were really interesting. And the reason I want to play them is is this. You know, th this game gets hyped up so much every year, deservedly so. And, and this year, with it being one versus two, it's only, I think, the second one versus two matchup in SEC history. The first one being the game of the century in 2011, which was also LSU and Alabama in Tuscaloosa. So in a bunch of ways, it, it is a huge game. And this has always been hyped up to be this this big of a game. But I thought Coach O's personality today in the press conference, I thought his demeanor communicated a lot. And maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I thought he came in very loose, very confident, 
but very focused. And, you know, we've seen in years past where this game gets hyped up and the intensity is just so much. And sometimes it almost feels like it's been overhyped and the guys get out there and they're, and they're just worn out or they're over emotional. And I thought Coach O set a really good tone at his press conference on Monday. You know, he, he joked around uh, earlier in the, in the, in the press conference about, you know, I, I think he was talking about with Marty Smith and I, I have this audio clip here about, you know, the, all the, the, that's at stake um, with this game and, and everything that you play for. And with that said, that's not something they talk about. He's going to talk more about the inter-squad scrimmage they had last week. I think it's my turn. Uh, hey, Coach Marty Smith from ESPN. I know you want to treat it like another game. It's one one against two, man. Uh, how do you define what's at stake Saturday? Well, SEC Championship, SEC West, going to the SEC Championship, having a chance to be in the college football playoffs, having a chance to win the national championship. I mean, that's – but that's for us is every game in the SEC. I mean, to get to where you want to go, it seems like you have to go undefeated. You have, you have to beat Alabama. You have to keep on going, and then you have to win the SEC championship. And then you get the college football playoffs. You know, So if you start thinking about all that stuff, it becomes overwhelming for your football team. But we know what's at stake, but we don't talk about that. Today's going to be Tell the Truth Monday. I'm going to talk more about the Tiger Bowl than anything, about the guys that played well because I want our guys loose and relaxed and go play a football game. Coach O was asked a little bit more about that and what he's learned from coaching in a few of these games now uh, as LSU's head coach. And he said the biggest thing for him is don't overhype it. You know, don't overhype it. There's going to be enough hype out there. Just, you know, stick to the fundamentals. Although there's great wide receivers, there's great quarterbacks, you still have to win the line of scrimmage here. Uh, last year we didn't win the line of scrimmage. They ran the ball on us. Uh, the year before they threw the ball on us. Uh, so, you know, we got to play well in every area, in every area of a football team. But it just goes back to fundamental. And this week, uh, tackling is going to be a premium. Uh, they're very dangerous with yards after contact. Uh, that's where they make most of their plays. In a very simplified approach, he basically said the game is going to come down to blocking and tackling. And with all the attention on the spread offenses and the quarterbacks and the Heisman race and one versus two, it's going to be that simple. It's going to be which team can tackle better, which team can block better. Uh, which team is going to win on those margins. That's something me and Jacob talk about a little bit later. later. But uh, I did want to play a couple more sound bites uh, from Coach O, a couple uh, funnier sound bites and uh, just a couple interesting ones that stood out. Here's one from, from Coach O about Dave Aranda. And the question was about how much Dave Aranda's held back this season defensively, if he still has something in his back pocket. And, uh, and Coach O said, yeah, he, he's got quite a bit in his back pocket. Yeah. If we would run – all the stuff that he has up on the board today, it would take 350 plays a game. The guy has a mind and something. He's always working on new stuff. He's putting it in. And then sometimes I got to go, go in there and go, wait a minute, man. But uh, he's always working on new stuff. Um, he's going to have something new this game. He always is competing to be the very best. Uh, we have a tremendous defensive staff. We have tremendous analysts that have been coordinators. So there's a lot of new ideas every week. It all depends what they present to us so we can defend it. While we're talking about assistant coaches, Coach O was also asked about Joe Brady, what he brings to the table for LSU in this game. And Coach O responded to confidence. And he talked a little bit about the balance between Joe Brady and Steve Ensminger as offensive coordinator. And he talked about the fact that this is something that Joe Brady and, and the entire offensive staff, the entire staff really has been looking at for a lot longer than the last couple of weeks. Confidence. Um, he's worked uh, very hard on, on Alabama. We started on Alabama last spring. 
Uh, first of all, we looked at our our game last year, where we didn't do very well, uh, with some of the things that we can do better. Uh, I think Joe's very good at dissecting film, very good at looking at strength and weaknesses and putting our guys in the right position. Him and Steve have worked uh, tirelessly all week last week. Uh, one went out on Monday. Then Joe stayed in all weekend. Steve uh, stayed in on Monday. He went out on Friday. So they took turns. They've been in the office all week. Obviously, I believe we're going to put our guys in the best position. But as you know, players got to make plays. And um, we went down there two years ago. And we, we had a skinny post open three times. We didn't hit it. You got to make the plays. But I do believe we have the quarterback to do it now. I think we all remember that 2017 game in Tuscaloosa where LSU had a chance. They had a chance to make some plays. I think they actually outgained Alabama but just couldn't quite execute uh, on the margins, which is, by the way, that's the theme of this episode is on the margins. Me and Jacob talk about that a lot. Coach O mentioned there at the end of that quote uh, that they have the quarterback now in Joe Burrow, and uh, I guess I'll wrap up this kind of press conference summary with his quote about Joe Burrow. And look, the praise is going to continue to pour in for Joe Burrow. He's earned it. He's been fantastic. I think he's going to continue to be fantastic. But this was Coach O putting it in a historical perspective that I hadn't really considered. And I'll be honest, I'll probably use it for the story next week. Uh, he, he just talked about the impact that, that Joe Burrow's had on the entire program, not just in terms of this season, but historically speaking. I think that Joe is, like I said before, he, I'm not going to say he's the single most important recruit in LSU history, but he's one of, one, of, one of the top five for sure. And there's some guys that have changed this program Although they've had great players here, Joe is the reason we're able to have the success we're having on offense with the spread offense because uh, he's a leader on the field. He's a quarterback on the field. He's very talented. From what I'm hearing, he's going to be a very uh, high draft choice. He has all the makings of an outstanding pro. Uh, I do believe he's as good, for sure, or better than the quarterback we're playing. But the only way to answer that is on the field. We'll find out on the field in less than one week as LSU number one in the AP poll takes on Alabama number two in the AP poll in Tuscaloosa. And nobody better to bring on to preview that game than Jacob Hester. So let's throw to that interview one last little teaser. Uh, I should have another episode coming up a little bit later in the week. Got a sit-down plan with uh, Marty Smith of ESPN. So if we can Get all that lined up. I should have something from Marty a little bit later. I'm a big fan of Marty's. I've uh, been a big fan of his for a long time. Really looking forward to that conversation. He's got a unique perspective, not only on college football, but on, but on life uh, in general. Uh, he just put out a book, Never Settle, which uh, I'm trying to track down at the moment, probably head to the library this afternoon to pick up a copy and try to read some of it before I talk with Marty. But uh, really looking forward to that episode and really looking forward to you hearing this conversation uh, with Jacob Hester. So without further ado, let's toss it to Jacob Hester. All right, happy to be sitting with Jacob Hester today. It's a the game after a bye week, so it's a tradition that we bring Jacob in on the podcast. One, because he provides such uh, good insight on the game. Two, because it makes my life a lot easier. So, uh, Jacob, thanks for coming up today. Um, obviously, a huge game this week. I'll be perfectly honest. I feel bad saying this. I am uh, shoulder deep in this Joe Burrow feature that, that we've been working on. So I haven't paid as, as close attention to the nitty gritty of this game as I want to. So I did do a little bit of looking into it this morning. Uh, I do have a, a couple things that I want to touch on, but I know you've looked much harder in that, uh, into the, the matchups and the X's and O's and all that stuff. So let's jump right in. Um, 
Alabama, what do you know about this Alabama team? What are the, the, the kind of things that you, you think uh, you think LSU has to keep an eye on? We were kind of talking about this before we recorded. It's just as similar a team as LSU's played all year. I mean, just they're almost like carbon copies of each other. They do some things differently, but, you know, we were talking about it position by position. There's, there's you know, a lot of uh, evenness across the board. It, it just looks like a fascinating matchup. And that's what it's supposed to be when you're number one versus number two. It's supposed to be an even matchup, and one play could really swing who wins this football game. And obviously, if you're looking at Alabama, the health of Tua Tagovailoa, that's going to be key all week. I'm sure we'll talk about it in length. There's no doubt in my mind that Tua is going to play. Yeah, he's going to play. Like we're not <laughs> going to talk about it in length because he's going to play. I, I won't. It's one of those things where I won't believe it until I see it. I just assume he's going to play. And he's going to be maybe not full strength, but good enough to go. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Tua Tagovailoa at eighty-five percent is as good as almost anybody in the country. And uh, when you look at Joe Burrow and what he's been able to do, that is a matchup that you want to see. I mean, you want to see that matchup play out on the field. You look at both running backs. I mean, Najee Harris has made plays. Clyde edwards has certainly made plays against some of the best competition in the country. Uh, like you said, like this is an even matchup. It's going to be a fun one to watch. It's got two high-powered offenses, two defenses that probably don't get talked about enough because of the offenses. I know LSU's defense has really picked it up in the last couple of weeks. And so you got to start searching for that other matchup. Okay, what's the key matchup? And as we were talking before uh, we came on here, I, I think that the third corner for both teams is going to be so important because when you look at Alabama, when you look at LSU, they can go three, four, five deep at the receiver position. And I'm talking about like really quality guys, as we all know, not just guys you were all out there that are on scholarship. No, guys are going to play on Sundays. Yeah. And so that third corner is going to be tested all day long. Kerry Vincent, of course, for LSU, you've got Carter over there at Alabama. Those guys better be ready to play because you feel like that's going to be the key matchup. And then if you're the offensive coordinator for either squad, it's okay, which receiver do I put in that matchup? If you're LSU, do I put Jefferson? If I'm Alabama, do I put Jerry Judy in the slot? That's something that I'm going to be paying attention to. Yeah, I was looking at, at some of the numbers earlier and just across the board, you know, you touched on the, 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 the third corner. I think the safeties that have to play in coverage as well is going to be huge because you look at the two corners for each team, you have – the, the, the two main corners, you have Derek Stingley and Christian Fulton for LSU. You have Trevon Diggs and Patrick Sertain for Alabama. If you look at the numbers, they're they're not only four of the best corners in the SEC, they're four of the best corners in the country. It's almost dead even. Um, th I'm not going to say that they're, they're going to neutralize the, the receivers they're guarding because it's going to be one of those almost like Derek Stingley, Jamar Chase camp battles. Like they're just going to – one guy's going to win one rep, one guy's going to win the next rep. But you, you look at that third spot, um, carries – gotten a lot better as the season's gone on but teams have tried to go after him in the slot it's a difficult position to play same thing with Shaheem Carter actually Shaheem and Kerry's numbers are really identical across the board if you look at their pass rating against I think both of them are in the the 80s and then you look at the safeties you know Grant Delpit's gonna have to come down in some four receiver sets uh, Jacoby Stevens is gonna have to play a little bit in coverage and the same for Alabama I think that's gonna be the the fun chess match and at least in the passing game is you know how each coordinator tries to attack that mismatch in coverage and how much strength versus strength will we see? How much will we see, you know, Jamar Chase versus Sertain, if that's who his matchup is, or if it's Diggs and vice versa with, 
with uh, with Justin Jefferson in the slot or Terrace Marshall on the outside. I think that's why having Terrace Marshall back for this game is so huge because it just gives you one more plus matchup um, for LSU. And then, you know, I think the one thing that LSU might have the advantage in there is tight end play because Miller Forrestal is out for Alabama. And you've got Thad Moss, who's been playing lights out for LSU. Stephon Sullivan's played well when he's been called upon. So that may be one little advantage um, for LSU. But that passing game chess match is going to be really fun. As far as the run game, what do you see in, in terms of Clyde versus uh, Harris for, for Alabama? Seems like, again, two guys that are, are pretty dead even. Yeah, they, they literally are averaging 5.9 yards a carry, and, and you mentioned it before we hopped on. Yards after contact is pretty much right there, the same as well. The one stat that stood out to me was Najee Harris's longest run of the year is 25 yards, and you wouldn't think that would be the case because he is dynamic, because he's uber-athletic. Now, he had a reception against South Carolina that I think all fans remember because yeah, it, was, it was a really impressive effort there, but as far as running the ball, 25 yards, longest run on the year. Clyde's broken a couple of 50 yarders on the season and look I, I, I think that both running backs are going to have a, a couple of plays in this game and I don't think it's a case where you can say oh Najee Harris is clearly the winner there no Clyde's proven that he belongs in the top echelon of running backs in the SEC and what Clyde's been able to do against the best competition his three biggest games of his career have come against top 10 opponents in Georgia a year ago then Florida and Auburn this year and so I think there's going to be plays to be made in the run game. And it's, it's going to be key because you're probably going to be a little pass happy. I think both teams will be pass happy in this one because it's their strength. It's what they do. And so which running back can make that one play? Um, you know, coming into the year, Najee Harris was a, a preseason All-SEC guy. Nobody talked about Clyde. Clyde's even that battle. So it's going to be something fun to watch. Yeah, I was looking at some stats earlier, and, and you look at establishing the run. I always go back to this quote that Jacob Phillips told me earlier this year. I don't remember which game it was. It was one of the games where the defense had played a little bit better. And he said, we feel like if you can't establish the run against us, you can't beat us. You can't score on us if, if you can't run against us. You look at LSU stats against the run this year. They're 13th nationally against the run. And and the thing that's different for me with this this matchup is not only is LSU's offense a lot better this year than it has been in the past, Alabama's defense has taken a step back. They're, we're used to seeing them in the top five, top ten, and every stat across the board. Uh, rushing defense, they're in the 30s, I think, this year. Um, they've been good against the run, but not the dominant Alabama that we're used to seeing. And that's kind of been the, the tale for them defensively this year. I know they've had injuries, but... That that matchup seems to have tilted in LSU's favor, where in the past it was a dominant Alabama defense against a okay or good LSU offense. It now seems like you have a dominant LSU offense against a pretty good Alabama defense, but one where LSU can find some holes. And I, I don't know if you're at this point yet. I'm officially at this point. I just don't think anyone can stop this LSU offense except this LSU offense. I think they're the only thing that can stop themselves. You could put the best defense in the country against them. I just think schematically, I think talent-wise, I think matchup-wise – they're going to score against whoever you put put out there against them. It's going to come down to the marginal plays, kind of like we saw against Auburn, short down, red zone, uh, those kinds of marginal situations where if LSU executes, they're going to score 40. And if they don't execute, that's where they get in trouble and things go tight. Yeah, and I know LSU's coaches won't make excuses for last week against Auburn not getting those situations on the goal line and short yardage, but – that's the best defensive front in the country, in my opinion, and that's a really stout front. And when you look at the stats as far as goal-to-go situations, that defense is top five in the country. And 
you got to improve on that though. And that's something that's got to be worked on. And like I said, LSU's coaches won't use that as an excuse. They know they've got to, in those situations, convert score points, score more touchdowns and field goals. Uh, but this Alabama defense kind of getting back to your original point, they're a young defense. I mean, we all know Christian Harris. He's from Baton Rouge, played at U high across the street. Shane Lee is another freshman linebacker. And look, I, I've played defense for Nick Saban. When I was a freshman, I was playing both ways. And I know, I know their heads are spinning still to this day. And they've grown a lot, but at the end of the day, they are still true freshmen and one of the tougher defenses to pick up in the country. And they've played well, but you're used to having that junior-senior linebacker for Alabama. You're used to having that junior-senior defensive tackle for Alabama. And that's something that they've been missing. And so they're going through kind of a, a youth spell right now where typically Alabama's been really good about not having guys leave early for the NFL. Nick's always done a good job of keeping them in school for an extra year, and they've had veterans in place. They don't have that this year. Uh, let's take that quick diversion. You played defense. You're, you're a freshman year. You've told me that, about this before, but I want to hear that story. Just You can give me the condensed version of it. Yeah, so one day in practice, we're uh, we're going ones-on-ones. I'm playing fullback, and I break like a, a 35, 40-yard run on the, on the one defense. So I'm feeling really good about myself, you know. I'm thinking, man, I, I might earn some playing time at fullback <laughs> here. And Coach Saban's like, hey, you want to take a ride over to the stadium? It's before, you know, we had the ops building, so we bust okay. over from the locker room. And he's like, hey, you want to ride with me? I'm like – Oh boy, what's this? What's this talk gonna be like? And so I get in the car. He's like, "Hey, I feel like you're one of the best, you know, 30, 35 players on the team, and you know we've got a really good fullback, and we did." And Kevin Steltz, you know, I want to try safety. I want to try to put you out there at safety, see how that goes. And you know, for me, I'm you know a 19 year old kid, and I'm like, man, absolutely, I want to get on the field. I don't care where yeah. it's at. Now, I'll remind you, I've never played safety in my life, but I didn't tell him <laughs> that factor. And so, man, during camp, Kirby Smart, who was a defensive back coach, stayed with me till like midnight midnight 31 o'clock I mean we're going through this defense we're trying to learn it right and it's so funny I felt like I really started to get it down it was so difficult so many checks so many little nuances of the defense and one day I'm in the slot it's like I look up and it's Dwayne Bow, Buster Davis early deuce set <laughs> Skylar Green and I'm like oh boy and then after the play I was like oh boy even more after Debo pretty much mossed me I'm like I don't really know what this safety thing's for me pretty quick after that I was back at fullback all right, yeah, I, I I just wanted the full story there. Um, that that was worth the diversion. Okay, back to the uh, the topic at hand. Another matchup that I was kind of looking at earlier is the ability to pressure the quarterback. It's kind of one of the things I always look at. If you look at some of the advanced stats, Joe, I mean, Joe's been unreal against pressure this year. I, I kind of went into this last week during the bye week. His passer rating, his NFL passer rating against pressure this year is 151.6. Perfect is 158.3. If you look back at like the last four or five seasons where they have that data tracked, it's not even close. That's by far the highest figure. Like Baker led, led it one year. I think he was at like 112 maybe. Tua led it last year. I think he was less than 110. Yeah. So what Joe's doing right now is unprecedented. And if he can continue to throw against that, like, throw like that against pressure – I don't think you can affect him. That's kind of what I was talking about earlier where he can only beat himself. Where Tua gets a little bit human is when he gets pressure, and it doesn't happen a lot. He's only been sacked 10 times this year, but he gets a little bit human against pressure. His pass rating drops down to 100.8, which is still very good, but right. not that kind of elite figure we're used to seeing from him. He hasn't scrambled much this year. He only has eight scrambles for 66 yards, where Joe has, I think, like 17 first downs alone that he's picked up in scrambles. And then Tua's completion percentage drops down to 54.3 when he gets pressure. So I look at Caleb on Chase on, and I look at you know, how Dave Aranda schemes trying to get pressure that green team when you bring in Marcel Brooks or 
You've got Richard Lawrence on the edge, Tyler Shelvin coming up the middle. I think those spots are huge for LSU this week. If they can figure out a way to generate pressure, force negative plays, force three and outs, which they've been very good at this year, I believe they lead the SEC in three and outs in, in SEC games. To me, that's where this game is won, on the margins, on the third downs and red zones, which we'll talk about in a second. But if you can pressure Tua and win some marginal plays, that feels like an opportunity for the defense to get off the field and the offense to try to build a lead. It has to be an aggressive nature for you to get pressure against Tua because you have to bring it. You just have to call it. So many teams don't want to call it. And, look, I understand why, because you don't want one-on-one matchups with that trio of receivers out there on the field. So I understand defense coordinators maybe trying to keep everything in front of them. But Alabama has shown that when you pressure Tua, his stats do go down. And, you know, he is working on, you know, a couple of bad ankles in yep. this matchup when he comes back, right? We all know uh, two different tightrope procedures on both ankles. And what makes Tua so good, one of the things that makes him, a lot of things make him really good, but his pocket presence is really good. It's pro-ready. Same thing that makes Joe Burrow really good, his pocket presence and knowing where he's got to step up in, in the pocket and get rid of the football. But if you pressure him, you know, that goes away. That clock becomes a little bit faster. And so that's kind of the chess match, okay? How do you use Jacoby Stevens? How do you use Grant Delpit? How do you use the middle linebackers as far as when you bring pressure and when you don't bring pressure? That's that's a key in this game because when you make the quarterback uncomfortable, when his clock has to hurry up, obviously your stats go down. And, you know, it, that's what makes Joe so amazing is the fact that his stats really, you know, go up in it's pressure. And a lot of that is pre-snap with Joe because – I always go back to one of the moments I thought was funny in the Florida game. They're bringing somebody off the edge, and my guy Deculus turns around. He's trying to tell Joe, hey, they're coming off the edge. And Joe literally looks at him and weighs him <laughs> off like, Austin, I got it. I, I see that coming from a mile away. And he does. He checks, and yeah. he gets into the plate, throws right behind the guy that's blitzing, and it's a first down LSU. Yep. Nobody in, in my history of college football – and playing, covering it, doing whatever. Nobody prepares and is more prepared than Joe Burrow. It's it's truly impressive. And I've been around some of the best to ever do it. He has that that Peyton Manning, that Phillip Rivers way of, I'm going to be so prepared mm. that there's literally nothing mm. that they can throw at me that I haven't seen or that I'm not ready for. I'll tell you, in two years playing with Peyton Manning, I only saw him mess up literally one time. He had one missed assignment in two years. And by the way, when he did it, the whole team let him know about it. But, I mean, that, that's the kind of the prep that Joe does. And it's, it's impressive because even your elite college athletes that do prepare, because I thought I prepared. You know, I thought I did yeah. the film work and I thought I did extra. It's not even close to what Joe Burrow's doing. So that's what makes him so good against pressures. Everything you bring, he's going to figure it out. Even when Auburn a week ago brought something different, right? They brought a, a three-one-seven, which yeah. we had never Stack seen Kevin Steele do, yeah. right? And they were playing this diamond formation in the middle of the field. Well, after about three series, Joe Burrow's like, "All right, I got you. Yeah. I figured it out." And he prepared on the sideline. That's another thing. Anytime you see Joe Burrow on the sideline, he's not high-fiving. He's not talking to the other players. He literally has that headset on, talking to the coaches. So it's it's funny you bring that up. You, you kind of spoiled some of the story that I'm working on. The word that constantly comes up when you go back to Athens, Ohio, and you talk to Joe's parents, you talk to his neighbors, you talk to his former coaches, his former teammates, is preparation. They said he's the most prepared individual they ever coached, that they ever were around. Um, part of it is kind of inherited learning. He used to just watch film with his dad, not because his dad was like, hey, let's go watch film, because Joe was like, hey, dad, let's go watch film, or hey, dad, what are you doing? You're watching film of recruits. Can I sit and watch? Like He just has always been football-obsessed, sports-obsessed, really. And so a lot of that stuff has become second nature to him, where he can process things so quickly 
and, and adapt on the fly. And that's what I'm curious to see what Alabama does. Do they try to confuse him? Because that's all Auburn was trying to do. They're trying to confuse yeah. him. They're trying to give him a look that they weren't necessarily comfortable with themselves or good at themselves necessarily. It's not like that was a base of theirs, a strength of theirs. They're trying to counter LSU, and I talked about it a little bit after the game. They're trying to get LSU to stop playing to their strength, and they were trying to get LSU to, to run the ball, which you know LSU continued to pass, continued to pass, and then it was almost like they wore Auburn down with the pass and then abused them with the run, which is usually you kind of think of it the opposite way the opposite way um but but joe's preparation is, is something that goes um way way back and it's, it's something he's been doing for a long time i was talking about the margins and, and i think a couple other stats that stood out to me one i was looking at red zone numbers because lsu's struggled a little bit with the red zone lately not punching it in against mississippi state and auburn still first nationally in red zone scoring alabama's only 63rd to me that could be in a game like this where it's going to come down to the the very very fine details that could be a situation where if LSU can punch it in instead of settling for three and force Alabama to three in spots, I think that could be huge. Uh, another spot that I was looking at was third downs, and both teams are exceptional offensively on third down. LSU six nationally, Alabama second. Defensively, Alabama's only 40th in third down conversion defensively, so LSU should be able to move the ball. That's two spots. You know, you talked about the third corner matchup. That's two spots just kind of as a, as a team and as a group that I think could be huge in this game. Yeah, and if you're looking at Alabama's offense, the thing they do really well, not only on third downs but every down, but mainly third down, is yards after catch. Those receivers, when you look at their gaudy stats after catch, I mean, they basically average a first down after the catch. And that's that's what frustrates you if you're a defense and you're a defensive coordinator, knowing that you've got them stopped in front of the sticks and they make a move or they break a tackle or they do whatever it, it takes to get that. You know, I think it's over nine yards after catch that they average. So it's almost a first down. Yeah, Henry Ruggs is 12 yards a catch per yards after catch per reception. Devontae Smith is 12. Jalen Waddell is 10.7. Jerry Judy is 7.3. For clarification, all four of those numbers are better than LSU's best, which is Jamar Chase, which is right at seven. So those are ridiculous numbers. Yeah. So that that's the key. It's it's tackling, right? Tackling in the slot, which LSU's been much better the second half than they were the first half of the season. The first half of the, uh, of the season, we were talking about missing the tackles, allowing that receiver to pick up four, five, six extra yards after a missed tackle there on the slot. So that's the key. I mean, if, if it's third and 10 and you've got them stopped at eight yards, you got to get them on the ground because they are elite at getting yards after the catch. And that's, that's something that's got to be kind of nailed into your brain all week long. Another area, and I haven't really looked into this a whole lot yet, but it, it came to me as you were talking. If we're, if we're thinking about margins, I go to special teams. And LSU has been very good at special teams all year. I think I saw Brody Miller for the Athletic wrote a piece last week that they're third in special teams S&P Plus. I don't know what Alabama's done this year, but as good as LSU's been, last time out against Auburn, special teams were a real issue. You had the muffed punt. Um, you had, I think, a missed extra point on maybe a bad hold or a bad snap. I don't I don't know what the – I didn't go back and look at it, but there was clearly some confusion between right. all three of them. I think York's timing got a little bit messed up. Um, penalties on, on coverages and stuff. To me, that's almost a good thing because I think all that will be – cleared up and, and ready to go for Alabama but that's going to be a spot we've seen it with Alabama kickers in the past I don't know how they're doing this year with with their kicking game um that they've they've struggled in the in the field goal unit historically under Saban that's another area to me and you're a guy that knows about special teams we're looking at margins we're looking at the fine margins and two teams as, as closely related and talent as this I think 
that could be a huge part of this game. Yeah, there's no question about it. And Zach von Rosenberg's been lights out really for LSU this year. At the punter position, we know Ferguson's going to be a really good snapper. You knew that coming into this year. And Cade York, look, for all the talk, I mean, the, the kid's still been pretty nails as a true freshman. It's just Yeah, his struggles have been like one missed field goal, one right. to hit a, a, an upright. Like, hasn't been – if that's his struggle, sign me up for it because he's going to – I think Cole Tracy said recently that he's going to go down as one of the great kickers all time at LSU history, maybe the greatest. Yeah, his struggles have been pretty – if you're looking at them as struggles, pretty good. Yeah, when you look at Alabama as far as their kickers, they're 9 of 14 okay. on the year, and they use yeah. two kickers again. That's something yeah. that you mentioned it. They've struggled with the entire time Nick Saban's been there. Both kickers have mixed extra points, and um, it, it, it's really something that they have not really been able to figure out. And using two kickers, that lets you know exactly how they feel about one or the other, right? Yeah. When you use multiple kickers like that. So I think LSU still has the advantage there. Um, as far as the penalties, when you look at that crew that called the Auburn game, they called more special teams penalties than any other SEC crew, and it really wasn't even close. Yeah. You could call a penalty every single special teams play if you wanted to. You truly could. Yeah. I mean, look at Zach Lyon a couple of weeks ago for the Saints against the Bears. It wasn't a holding call, but they could call that every time yeah. if they wanted to. And so I think some of that has to do with the crew that was calling the game. But you still, look, you got to be smarter. You can't get the the after the whistle kind of, uh, I believe we had, what, two of those, if yeah. I'm not mistaken? Yeah, I know that it was 27 total penalties. I think it was 15 for LSU and 12 for Auburn, and maybe that's, that's flip, but – yeah, there were flags all over the field. So, look, that, that's something that you can't do, and, and you got to be smart in those situations. Because, you know, when you know that a crew is looking for that, you know they call special teams penalties, you got to be smarter. And I'm sure that's been uh, brought up many, many times in the last couple of weeks. Um, but even going back to the punting matchup, when you look at Alabama, they've used three punters, right? So they've used multiple kickers, they've used three punters, and – that that just tells you that they're not settled on one. Yeah. And, and you know, special teams in a game like this, to your point, I mean, that's everything. Look at the nine to six game from twenty eleven. I, I mean, to reference that. I mean, Brad Wing won that game yep. for LSU. I mean, yep. he flipped the field so many different times. Yep. And obviously you make three field goals there, but Brad Wing was crucial in that nine to six victory. And that's what it is. When it's one versus two, you've got to look for every single little matchup and you've got to know and, and I know, I know, as a player, it's very difficult to know. Oh, I remember on Monday, Coach O said that this uh, this crew calls more special teams penalties. But you have to. Yeah. In a one versus two matchup, you have to know that you have to be like, you know what? I've got to make sure I do everything by the book here because they're looking to throw the flag. So I think I, I heard. I'll have to verify this. I, I think that it's the same crew from the Texas game, and I think the penalties that game were like seven to seven. I think it was pretty even both ways. So not too many flags. And it was pretty evenly called, so that that's something to keep an eye on. Let, let's end with this. Um, historically, LSU's had success in Tuscaloosa. I think five and four in their last nine trips to Tuscaloosa. And there was a time when I was growing up where LSU never beat Alabama in Baton Rouge. It just never happened. <laughs> but they'd go to Tuscaloosa every other year and and figure out a way to win a game there. As someone who's played there, as someone who's been in in that environment, as as someone who's won games there. Um, what is that? Is is that something? Is there something to that? Is that some historical anomaly, or what is it about LSU that they've been able to go there and, you know, 2011 and, and win a game, and, and 2007 and win a game? For whatever reason, they've been able to go to Tuscaloosa and, and figure out to win a way to win games. Look, I, I'm kind of probably in the minority here. I loved road games. I loved being the guy that the opposing crowd was trying to boo and trying to make sure that they affected his game. And I know not everybody's like that. And there's been some places, look, playing at Auburn during my career, LSU struggled there. And so you could kind of point to that, like, why do you struggle at Auburn, right? And 
they did have success at Alabama. 05, we won there in overtime when they were ranked, I think, fourth or fifth in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned 07, we found a way to win there, and uh, you could point to a couple of matchups. But it, it's a great environment. It's one that makes you focus in on, on all the small little things of a football contest. You know that their crowd's going to be in it. Um, I actually think that the, the earlier kick time probably benefits the road team for this one because, look, night games in the SEC, obviously mm-hmm. night games in Death Valley are different, but it, throughout the SEC, look, it gives the, the fans a chance to tailgate all day, get a little lathered mm-hmm. up, if you will, and I think that you know playing in the day benefits a little bit of, of the road team there. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's one thing you can point to. It's definitely a place that makes you focus in on every little thing that you can do because you know they're going to be loud. You know they're going to bring it. You know that they've been looking forward to this game because they haven't had a game like this this year in Brian Denny. So they're looking forward to this matchup. All right, let's uh, let's get out of here, Jacob. I got a meeting to get to. I know you got radio to do. What's uh, what's coming up for you this week on the radio show and, and all the stuff you're doing? I know you've probably got a <laughs> full week as well. <laughs> so you always love these big games because you're just waiting for Sunday afternoon and, and Monday morning for the, the requests to come in. And it's great. I love talking about these matchups. I've already done a couple this morning. And the radio show, as far as hanging with Hester, we're going to have some big-time guests all throughout the week. We're going to have former Alabama players, former LSU players. Uh, t- you know, Today alone, Chris Lowe of ESPN, Bill Bender of the Sporting News are going to hop on the show. So we're really getting some national media involved because this is the game. It's the game that everybody always circles, but when it's one versus two, obviously that means just a little bit more. I'm looking forward to this week. It's going to be a long week because we're going to talk our tongues dry about this matchup, (laughs) but that's what it is, and you should. You should when it's one versus two. You should literally cover every single aspect of it. Well, I'm uh, I'm wrapping up about eight hours of audio that we recorded in Athens with all of uh, all of Joe's people. Uh, hopefully, I'll have that story done as quickly as possible so that I can actually pay attention more to this game. But it was good talking with you, getting your uh, your expertise on it, and uh, looking forward to it, man. It's gonna be a fun week. Thanks for uh, for joining the show, and uh, see you next time. Yeah, so far good week. The Chargers won, the Broncos won, and everything got a point against Tottenham. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking about soccer today. We're not talking about Arsenal. So uh, let's end this thing here. Thanks, man. The glory of the purple and gold. Come on, you tigers. I said, fight, fight, fight. Victory for, victory for, victory for LSU. We are number, number one. Victory for